Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Lahulhamdul Hassan Wathanaul Jamil Washadu Allah ilaha illallah Wahadahu la sharika lah Washadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasulu Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi Wa tabi'ina lahum bihsanin ila yawmiddin amma ba'd Inshallah ta'ala today we're going to start Kitab Mandumatu Al-Qawaid Al-Fiqiyya Written by Al-Shaykh Al-Allama Abu Abdillahi Abdurrahman ibn Nasir Al-Si'diy Al-Qusaymiy Al-Najdiy Al-Hanbali who died the year 1379 or 76 Hijriya, uh, So I'm going to read the lines of poetry, all of it, and then inshallah ta'ala, we're going to start the explanation of the kitab idnillahi al-kareem. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahil Aliyil Arfaqi wa Jami'il Ashai wal Mufarriqi. ذي النعم الواسعة الغزيرة والحكم الباهرة الكثيرة ثم الصلاة مع سلام دائمي على الرسول القرشي الخاتمي وآله وصحبه الأبرار الحائزي مراتب الفخاري إلم هديت أن أفضل المنن علم يزيل الشك عنك والدرا ويكشف الحق لذي القلوب ويوصل العبد إلى المطلوب فاحرص على فهمك للقواعد جامعة المسائل الشوارد لترتقي في العلم خير مرتقى وتقتفي سبل الذي قد وفقا وهذه قواعد نظمتها من كتب آل العلم قد حصلتها جزاهم المولى عظيم الأجر والعفو مع غفرانه والبر النية شرط لسائر العمل بها الصلاح والفساد للعمل الدين مبني على المصالح في جلبها ودرء للقبائح فإن تزاحم عدد المصالح يقدم الآلى من المصالح وضده تزاحم المفاسد يرتكب الأدنى من المفاسد قاعدة الشريعة التيسير قاعدة الشريعة التيسير في كل أمر نابه تعسير وليس واجب بلقتدار ولا محرم مع الضرار وكل محظور مع الضرورة بقدر ما تحتاجه الضرورة وترجع الأحكام لليقين فلا يزيل الشك لليقين والأصل في مياهنا الطهارة والأرض والثياب والحجارة والأصل في الأبضاع واللحوم والنفس والأموال للمعصوم تحريمها حتى يجي الحل فافهم هداك الله ما يمل والأصل في عاداتنا الإباحة حتى يجي صارف الإباحة وليس مشروعا من الأمور غير الذي في شرعنا مذكور وسائل الأمور كالمقاصد وحكم بهذا الحكم للزوائد والخطأ والإكراه والنسيان أسقطه معبودنا الرحمن لكن مع اعتلاف يثبت البدل وينتفي التأثيم عنه والزلل ومن, مساء ومن مسائل الأحكام في التبع يثبت لا إذا استقل فوقع والعرف معمول إذا ورد حكم من الشرع الشريف لم يحد معاجل المحظور قبلاني قد باء بالخسران مع حرماني وإن أتى التحريم في نفس العمل أو شرطه, أو شرطه فذو فساد وخلل وإن أتى التحريم في نفس العمل 
أو شرطه فذو فساد وخلل ومتلف مؤذيه ليس يضمن بعد الدفاع بالتي هي أحسن والأل تفيد الكل في العموم في الجمع والإفراد كالعليم والنكرات في السياق النفي تعطي العموم أو سياق, النا سياق النهي كذا من وكذا كذاك من وما تفيدان مع كل العموم يا أخي فاسمعا ومثله المفرد إذ يضاف ففهموا ديت الرشد ما يضاف ولا يتم الحكم مع ولا يتم الحكم حتى تجتمع كل الشروط والموانع ترتفع ومن أتى بما عليه من عمل قد استحق ما له على العمل ويفعل البعض من المأمور إن شق فعل سائر المأمور وكل ما نشا عن المأذون فذاك أمر ليس بالمضمون وكل حكم دائر مع علته وهي التي قد أوجبت لشرعته وكل شرط لازم للعقد في البيع والنكاح والمقاصد إلا شروطا حللت محرما أو عكسه فباطلات فعلما تستعمل القرعة عند المبهم من الحقوق أو لدى التزاحم وإن تزا وإن تساوى العملان اجتمعا وفعل أحدهما فاستمعا وكل مشغول فلا يشغل مثله مثاله المرؤون والمسبل ومن يؤدي عن أخيه واجبا له الرجوع إن ويطالبا والوازع الطبع عن العصيان كالوازع الشرعي بلا نكران والحمد لله على التمام في البدء والختام والدوام ثم الصلاة مع سلام شائع على النبي وصحبه والتابعي So that's the kitab 49 line poetry written by Sheikh Abdurrahman Nasr al-Sa'di rahimahullahu ta'ala So now inshallah ta'ala we're going to take a portion of it I know I don't need to speak about al-qawaid al-fiqiyah and what it means and its reality and how it progressed and the books that are written in it because alhamdulillah we took that last year Last year we took Al-Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah, an introduction to it. So this year, inshallah ta'ala, it's easy for us to go into the book Bi'idhnillah Al-Kareem. Anyone who hasn't uh, studied with us last year, they can go into the YouTube channel on Kalima and they can watch it there, inshallah ta'ala. The entire Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah introduction is there Bi'idhnillah Al-Kareem. And I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, watched it recently, and you can't recall it as well, to go back to it again. Because it will help you understand the book when we go through it, inshallah ta'ala. The author, rahimahullah, he starts by saying, Alhamdulillahi al-Ali al-Arfaqi wa jami'i al-Ashya'i wal-Mufarriqi. This is what the author started the poetry with. And this is Qawaid al-Fiqiyah, the science that we're inshallah ta'ala going to talk about. The sunnah, as you all are aware of, is when you do a khutbah, a Friday sermon, you don't say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What do you say? Khutbah al-Jum'ah, you say you start with the hamdala. But when you write a letter, what do you start with? You start with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. When you write a message to someone, you say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. But if you want to give a sermon, a khutbah, a reminder, you don't say the basmala. You say the, you say the hamdala. And the sunnah of the Prophet in the hamdala is a sunnah fi'liyah. Sunnah fi'liyah means what? We follow the Prophet ﷺ this in his action. Yani the Messenger did this. Salawatullahi wa salamu Whenever he would um, um, send a letter to someone, he would write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So we follow him in the action. But there's no sunnah qawliyah for the uh, basmala. 
يعني ده حديث which says كل أمر ذي بال لا يبدأ فيه ببسم الله فهو أبتر ما فهو أقطع ما فهو those are all weak they're not authentic إذا السنة القولية is all ضعيف لكن what is صحيح is the سنة فعلية يعني the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to start his letters with the basmala so the Prophet used to do that صلى الله عليه وسلم and the Quran starts with the basmala in every surah except surah al-tawbah so the author rahimahullah he started with the hamdala so he said alhamdulillah the word alhamdu it is it means to describe allah tabarak wa ta'ala bil wasf al-jamil a good description ma'a mahabbatihi wa wa ta'zimihi it is whilst you love him and you're glorifying him you're venerating allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's what he started with. He said, he said, he said, he started by saying, Alhamdulillah, he praises to who? Praise is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, Al-Ali. And the Ali is a description for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The word Al-Ali is a description for Allah tabarak wa ta'ala. And it comes from the word Ulu. And the Ulu of Allah tabarak wa ta'ala is three types. The Ulu of Allah is three types. The word Ulu means high. The word Ulu for Allah tabarak wa ta'ala is three types. The first type of ulu is called ulu dhatin. Yani ulu dhatin means Allah himself is above his throne. The second one is ulu qahri, ulu qadrin. Ulu qadrin. It means Allah ta'ala in terms of honor is greater than his creation. Allah has greater honor than anyone. There's no one who has greater honor than him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third one is ulu qahrin. Ulu qahrin means what? It means Allah ta'ala has power and strength over his creation. So the author, rahimahullah, when he said Al-Ali, he wants to describe Allah with all those three types of ulu. Ulu dhatin, ulu al-qadr, and ulu qahrin. And then he said Al-Arfaq. The word Arfaq is ma'khudun min al-rifq. The word Arfaq is taken from the word rifq. It means gentleness. Rifq is the opposite of the word Al-Unf, hardship and toughness. Allah ta'ala is rafiq and yuhib al-rifq. Allah is rafiq and he loves rifq. Allah is rafiq. And an Imam al-Shafi'i is the one who narrated that. Also Bukhari narrated it from his chain of narration to Abu Huraira Marfu'an. The Prophet is saying that Allah is what? Allah wa ta'ala is Rafiq, Yuhibbu Rifq. Some copies, they say, some people, they say that the word, uh, the kitab, the copy is not Arfaq, it's Awfaq. So Sheikh ibn Uthaymin was asked, what do you think about that statement? That the kitab here, the author didn't say Al-Arfaq, but he said Awfaq. Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin is a student of Sheikh Abdul Nasir al-Saudi. So he said, no, that's not right. He said, what we memorized from the Sheikh was Al-Arfaq. And he memorized from him Al-Awfaq. So the right copy is to write, leave it there as Al-Arfaq and not as Al-Awfaq, as some of the copies mentioned. Then the author, Rahimallah, said, وَجَامِعِ الْأَشْيَاءِ وَالْمُفَرِّقِ we have two, he's saying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Jami'il Ashiyah, who brings things together, and he also distinguishes one thing from the other. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala, what does he bring together? What does he combine together? The things that Allah brings together, subhanahu wa ta'ala, al ashya'il mutashabiha. Things that are similar, Allah brings them together in ruling. Allah also distinguishes between al ashya'il mukhtalifa. Things that are different, Allah wa Taala, He distinguishes one from the other in ruling, and this is this is called 
in the Arabic uh, language or it's called in Balaga Bara'atul Istihlal. It's called what? It's called Bara'atul Istihlal. What does Bara'atul Istihlal mean? Bara'atul Istihlal means when you speak, in the introduction of your speech, you use words that will kind of give the uh, reader or the listener an indication of what science this is going to be. It's called Bara'atul Istihlal. Scholars generally use that in their poetries. Because this science of Qawaid al-Fiqiyah is a science that deals with what? It deals with Jami' al-Ashya'i wal-Mufarriqi. It's a science that brings the things that are similar under one ruling. And the things that are different, it gives them each a ruling. I mean, it separates one from the other. If they're not the same, it distinguishes them in ruling. And if they're similar and they're the same or similar to one another, they give them the same ruling. So this is Bara'atul Istilal that the author is using here. It's called what? Bara'atul istilal. Is that when the person speaks, they use words that allude to, that give you the impression of what they're going to be speaking about. If for example, what uh, Amir Sanani did in his kitab, Qasab al-Sukar. Amir Sanani in Qasab al-Sukar, he did the, some, something similar to that. He said, Hamdan ilay, he said, Hamdan, he said, Qasab uh, al-Sukar, Hamdan ilay, he said, Hamdan ilay, he said, that's istilal. He said, I'm gonna give you hamd, praise Allah. I'm gonna praise you, O Allah. The one who all praises is Yusnad. The word Yusnad is used in what science? Sanad is used in science. Ilm al-Hadith. So he's saying, Yusnadu kullu hamdi. All of praises, it's, yani, it's attributed to Allah. Yusnadu ilayhi kullu hamdi. Mutassilan, it's connected. That hamd I'm giving you, oh Allah. Mutassilan, laysa lahum qita'u. There's no disconnection in it. Ma fi kathabun wala walda'u. There's no liar or person who's fabricated in that. Yani, oh Allah, it's directly to you. Yani, that's called bara'atul istilal. Amir Sal'ani, what he's doing there when he's making a poetry out of the kitab, Nukhbatul Fikr. He made a poetry out of it called the Qasab al-Sukar. He was doing Bara'atul Istilal. And scholars generally do that. You see a person who's going to speak about fiqh and then they say, Alhamdulillahilladhi halal al-halala wa harram al-harama, mathalan. Praises to the Lord, yani Allah, who made the things which are halal halal and the things that are haram haram. Yani, that's called Bara'atul Istilal. In the Khutbatul Haja that you're going to talk, you mention in there, Use. Somebody's going to talk about Ulum al Quran and they say, Alhamdulillah, he anzal al Quran ala sabati ahrufin. So that's called Bara'atul Istilal. Praises to Allah who sent the Quran in seven dialects. And he's going to, the topic he's going to be talking about is what? Ilm al Qiraat. So it's called Bara'atul Istilal. So the Shaykh, Rahimullah, that's what he did here. He said, Wajami al Ashiai wal Mufarriki. So that's called Bara'atul Istilal. Now, the second line of poetry says, The Ni'amil wasi'atil Ghazira wal Hikamil Bahiratil Kathira. The author now still carries on uh, describing Allah Taala and praising Him, Subhanahu wa Taala. And what is He praising Him for? He said, "The ni'ami, O Allah Taala, uh, You're the one who gives and bestows upon Your creation and possesses a lot of blessings." And he's getting this from the ayah, "Wa The blessings of Allah Taala are excessive, Subhanahu wa Taala, and they are muta'addida. And they are wasi'ah. Allah's blessings are vast. And they are also 
they are um, a lot and they're variant. They're not the same. And in the blessing of Allah wa Taala, some of them are very fundamental, and some of them are less fundamental. Yani, ni'matul Islam is the greatest type of ni'mah. That's a ble- the highest level of ni'mah, and there's not no ni'mah equal to that. So it's the greatest. So it's not all the same. They have different levels. The ni'mah of Allah wa Taala. With that said, no one's able to count how much of those ni'mahs that we have. They're too much in number. From the ni'am here that Allah has given us is Deenul Islam, the religion of Islam. Also, ni'matu tawajjuhi li talabil ilm. The blessings of us sitting down and learning, seeking Islamic knowledge. It's also a blessing. This is from the ni'am of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. Al-hikamil bahiratil kathira. The word al-hikam is a plural of the word hikmah. It's a plural of it. What does hikmah mean? Hikmah means وَضْعُ الشَّيْءِ فِي مَوْضِعِهَا الْمُنَاسِبِ It is to place something in its befitted place. It is to put something in its right, appropriate place. That is what it means. That's what the word hikmah means. الْحِكَمِ الْبَاهِرَةِ What does the word al-bahira mean? The word al-bahira means al-mudhisha. It is that which is mind-blowing. That which is mind-boggling. That's what it means, al-bahira. That Allah tabarak wa ta'ala's wisdoms are just mind-blowing. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah tabarak wa ta'ala's hikmah is just amazing. It's fascinating. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala is hakimun fi awamiri. Everything he commands, there's a wisdom behind it. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether those things which he commanded are universally, or whether those things that are that are he commanded subhanahu wa ta'ala be uh, in the sharia, in the legislation of the religion. Allah tabarak wa ta'ala is also um, hakim, wise in that which he prohibited. Whether it be university, or whether it be in the sharia, all of them are based on hikam, wisdom. Sometimes those hikmah become clear to us and we know it. And sometimes it's not apparent and clear to us. Whether it's clear or not, Allah's hikmah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are bahira. They are bahira, meaning fascinating and amazing. And the evidence for Allah's hikmah being amazing and fascinating is the ayah, uh, if this Qur'an was to come from anybody other than Allah, you would find contradiction. It can't contradict because it comes from the Hakim, the wise one. The one who has infinite knowledge. Allah won't contradict. He can't contradict, subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's impossible for him to contradict, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why can't he contradict? Because his ahkam are all going in the right direction. He's speaking with wisdom. He's speaking with what? With wisdom, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third line of poetry, the author says, After the author, Rahimahullah, he praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he described Allah wa ta'ala, the author swiftly moved on to sending a salah and a salam on the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A salah and a salam. The word as salah that which is common amongst the people, 
is that it's meant by a dua. A lot of people, that's what they understand it. And they use that for, yani the, to support that the word as-salah means dua. A lot of the people, what they use is min kalam al-Arab. A lot of the statements of the Arabs, the, pre, the pre-Islamic poets, they bring their lines of poetry to support that. But if you ponder and you really look deep at the statements of the Arabs, um, and you observe their usage of this word, you will find that the word uh, is, yani as-salah is meant by as-salah wa dhikr al-jameel. You will te- you find that it's actually not dua. It actually is as-salah. It is to praise and mention good of something. That's what you find. And that's the one that Imam Abu Aliyah mentioned and Imam Al-Bukhari transmitted it from him. That the word as-salah means what? Thana'ullah. It means that the Prophet ﷺ is praised by Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah is praising the Messenger In the high above, Allah Taala is praising Nabiullah Muhammad. And the word as-salah does not mean rahmah. That's also another view of people believe. They say as-salah means ar-rahmah. And that is not correct. Because there's in the Quran, the use of the word as-salah and the word ar-rahmah right next to each other. And they can't mean each other if they're mentioned together. أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّن رَبِّهِمْ وَرَحْمَةٌ The word salah is me used here and the word rahma is used here. And the Arabic language, one of the basic things that you learn is that the wow in the Arabic language يَدُلُ عَلَى الْمُغَايَرَةِ The word, the wow shows that these two things are two separate entities. أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّن رَبِّهِمْ وَرَحْمَةٌ So it means the salah is not the rahma. And that's the view Ibn al-Qayyim pushed strongly in his kitab Jala'ul Afam fi fadli salati ala khayri al-anam. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions 10 reasons why the word salah cannot mean al-rahmah. He argues strongly. Shaykh al-Allama ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he takes another, another route. He says that rahmah is two types. There's a rahmah which is aam and there's a rahmah which is khas. The word salah, he said it means al-rahmatul khasa. He said it means a specific type of rahmah. And that the ayah, Ulaik alayhim salawatu min rabbim wa rahmah, he said it means a general rahmah. And he said that's why there's no contradiction here, that the word as-salah can mean rahmah. Allah ta'ala commanded us to send as-salah and as-salam on the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why we say, qawluhu uh, ta'ala, inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-nabi. Ya ayu al-ladhina amanu, sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Sallu wa sallimu. All of the prophets before, we don't say sallallahu alayhi wa for them. We only say alayhi, alayhi salam. Alayhi salam. Alayhi salam. Why do we say alayhi salam for all the other prophets? Because Allah mentions salam for all the prophets. Salamun ala, salamun ala. Allah mentions the prophets like that. Salamun. Lakin as-salah was salam has been combined for Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa that's why Allah commanded us, Ulaika alayhim. Allah ta'ala, He's mentioned in the Quran, Allah ta'ala, He said, sorry, in Allah wa malaikatu yusalluna alayhi wa sallam, sallu alayhi wa sallam, combines together. Okay. Then the author, Rahimullah, He says, Thumma salatu, salah is upon the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ma' salamin with peace. Da'imin forever. Da'imin forever. Um, the word as-salam, what does it mean? The word salam it means, it, it's a tahiyya, it's a greeting. And it means as-salama, safety. 
It means as-salamah min It is to be safe from harm. That's what it means. It means as-salamah min That's what it means. Ala rasuli on the messenger. Yani Nabi Muhammad. And a messenger, a rasul, he is huwa al-mursil. It is the one that sent. Bishar'in jadidin, he sent with a new religion. Wa umira bitabligi, and he was commanded to convey it. That's what it is. And there's a difference between a nabi and a al-rasul. But we're not going to go into that. The author says, al-qurashi, he says. And qurashi is a qabila, a tribe. And Quraysh is from Adnan, so they are Adnaniyun. And they go back to Ismail alayhi salam. So Nabiullahi Muhammad is Qurayshay, he's from Quraysh. The author Rahimullah says Al Khatami. You can say Khatam or Khatib. Both ways you can say it. If you say Khatam, that's a description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa meaning Qad Khataba bihir risala. He was, um, and if you say khatam, it means anahu qad khutima bihir risala. Khatam. If you say it like that, that he was, um, Allah made him to end the message. And if you say khatimna, it means that. Um, he came as a final prophet. Yani the meaning comes the same, but the difference is that one is ismu fa'il, which is khatim, and khatim is ismu ala. What about if someone says right now, isn't Isa salam not going to come? Fi akhir zaman. So how can Nabi Allah Muhammad be referred to as the final prophet? How can we say that? The response to that is an Isa salam, Isa, his time was before Nabiullah Muhammad. Isa, when he comes, he's not going to come with a new legislation, an independent legislation. But he's going to come a slave for Allah Ta'ala, who follows Nabiullah Muhammad. He's not going to come with a new religion, and he's not going to be given a new religion. He's just going to be following the guidance of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, La nabiyya ba'di, there's no prophet after me. Ma kana muhammadun aba ahadi min rijalikum, walakin rasulallahi wa khataman nabiyyina, wa khatiman nabiyyina. Both of them are two qira'ah, which the ayah has been recited as. But if you recite it as khatim, ismu fa'il. Khatamna, ismu alah. وَآلِهِ The Prophet's family وَصَحْبِهِ الْأَبْرَارِ And the Prophet's وَآلِهِ means the Prophet's family. The word al في لغة العرب In the Arabic language it's meant by many meanings. And from those meanings is القرابه The Prophet's family. فَآلُ فُلَانٌ قَرَابَتُهُ So for example you say al of so and so means قَرَابَتُهُ his family. And sometimes the word al can be meant as your followers. Inam. You can use the word al as atba' followers. It's possible. So, example, sometimes the Arabs they say alu fulanin. They mean by it bima'na uh, atba'uhu his followers. ولذلك that's why Allah said in the Quran, udu adkhilu ala fir'auna ashad al-alab. Adkhilu ala fir'auna. He ala fir'aun doesn't mean 
Qarabatu. It means atba'uhu, those who follow Fir'aun. Because from the Qaraba of Fir'aun are those who Allah guided, like Asiya. Allah guided Asiya to Islam. She was a Muslim. So Asiya is not going to fall under A khilaf happened between the scholars. Is wa'alihi meant by atba' or is it meant by the Qaraba? Because those two usages are present. What, which one is it meant by? There's a dispute that has come forward from the Masha'a ulama and Ahlul Ilm. That which seems apparent is if the word al is mentioned and the Sahabas are not mentioned after it, then the al here means qarabatu wa atba'uhu ma'an together. But if you hear alihi wa sahbihi, then the al means the qaraba and the sahbihi means the atba', the followers. صح? That's what it is. That's the easiest way to get around it. وَآلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ His companions. The word companions are those who met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Is man laqiya nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam mu'minan bihi. It is anyone who met the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the state of iman. وَلَوْ سَاعَةً وَاحِدَةً. If it's even an hour, a minute, it doesn't matter. But he was a mu'min. وَمَاتَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ and he died upon that is a believer. And he died upon iman. That's the condition. What happened between? When he became a companion, after he met the Prophet, and until he died, if he left Islam, as long as he dies upon Islam is what matters. There's no argument or conflict, brothers and sisters, between the Al and the Ashab. They're two people who love each other. There was no conflict between the Al of the Prophet and his family, there wasn't. They loved one another. The people tried to create an issue between them is those who came after. Like in, there wasn't between the Sahabas and the family of the Prophet anything. They have come many evidences to speak about the virtue of the companions. Like قَوْلُوا تَعَالَى وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ Allah mentioned in this verse that He's pleased with the Ansar and the Muhajirin. Allah is pleased with them. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also Allah Tabarak wa ta'ala, He said, مُحَمَّدُ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهُ also, Allah Taala's messenger, Allah's messenger said, "Khayrukum, the best amongst you is Qarni, my generation, thumma ladina yalunahum, and those who follow them in it." And that is the hadith of Imran ibn Hussein, which you could find in Bukhari and Muslim and Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi and Ahmad and Tabarani and Hakim all narrated. The word al-abrari is the plural of the word bir. Abrar is the plural of the word bir. And the word bir means الخيري, a people who are increasing in righteous deeds. Al-ha'izi means Al-ha'izi means it is to attain. Yani these people attained the lofty levels. Manazil al-sharaf. That's what they've achieved. Then the author Rahimahullah says, so that was the introduction that the author Rahimahullah gave. Now the author Rahimahullah goes in, explain the kitab. He says, I'lam no. And the author Rahimahullah starts by saying, I'lam no. And that brings us to the importance of knowledge, my beloved brothers and sisters. The status of knowledge and that knowledge is a blessing from the blessings of Allah 
in which Allah blesses with whoever He wishes. And there have come many evidences that speak about the virtue of knowledge and its status and its positions. Allah says in the Quran, قُلْ هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ إِنَّمَا يَتَذَكَّرُ أُولُوا الْأَلْبَابِ Are they equal, the one who knows and the one who doesn't know? Are they the same? No. The word قُلْ هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ هَلْ here is istifham. But the istifham here doesn't require your answer. And Allah when He's asking this question, He's not waiting for you to respond back to it. Because it's already by, it's known by... So the author says, I'lam, no, no. Because knowledge is important, brothers and sisters. And, and Imam Muhammad rahimahullah mentioned that the hajjah, the need that the people have for knowledge and the hunger that they need for knowledge is greater than the hunger they need for what? For food and drinking. Because eating and drinking, you might need it once or twice a day. And that's it. Whereas knowledge, you need it bi'adadil anfas, Ahmed says. Rahimahullah. You need it as much as you breathe. The way everything about you, to move your hand, you have, the brain has to know how to move the hand. It's knowledge that is important. It's even more important than drinking and eating. وَلِذَلِكَ the Prophet Anyone who Allah wants good for them, they, he makes them understand the religion. يعني, understanding the religion is a sign that Allah loves you. Sign Allah Taala. He wants khair for you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, ilm is beneficial. Look what he said. The author says something very powerful, which is, what does knowledge benefit you? If I learn and I attain knowledge, what do I get from it? The author mentioned two things. With knowledge, you benefit two things. The first thing that you benefit from knowledge is al-yaqeen, certainty. Knowledge brings about certainty. And when certainty comes, my beloved brothers and sisters, the whispers of shaitan goes. It removes it. It gets rid of the the shubuhat, the doubts, and the shukuk, the doubts and the speculations that might have been there, it goes. Yaqeen. Every time your knowledge increases, remember this. Every time a person is knowledgeable, certainty will be present for you. And every time that you're holding on to the, the path of the pious predecessors, and you hold on to the aqeed of Ahl Sunnah, certainty will enter your heart. That which other people won't receive. Go read the lives of those people, like Fakhruddin al-Razi, what happened to him in his last stages of his life, how he became, how doubtful he became. Jam ibn Safwan, who the group the Jahmi go back to, for 40 years he never prayed. He missed Salah for how many years? For 40 years he missed Salah. Why? Because a, one person asked him a question. They said to him, do you see Allah? No. Do you hear Allah? No. Do you taste him? No. Do you feel him? No. They asked him this, the, 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 the five senses. Does Allah Taala for you fall under any of those five senses? He jammed someone and said, I don't. No. He said, how do you worship something? How do you believe in the existence of something that does not fall under those five senses? Forty days he went and he never prayed. Shak. What do I do? And then he came back and he said to the person, do you have a aqal, a brain, 
a mind. Not a akal is a mind. Do you have a mind? Because the brain you can touch, but the mind you can't touch. So do you have a mind? He said yes. Your feelings, yes. Have you ever tasted it? Smelled? He put it through his five senses. Then he got some hope, and then that's what. Then he went back to praying again. That's what you find with the tawa'if and the groups. Walidharika the salaf, they used to say, The people who are the fastest in apostasy, I need to apostate from the religion of Islam, are the innovators. Because they open for themselves a door of doubt, 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 doubt. Yeah, I mean, everything is subjective for them. Everything is subjective. Everything for them is a, uh, a doubt. So they don't have knowledge enough. The second thing that knowledge benefits you is it will repel, that knowledge will repel the desires that are in your heart, you can repel it with knowledge. And that's what the scholars call the term al-wara. You hear the word wara? Wara is a person who has knowledge. And his knowledge has led him to, to repel the desires that comes to him. Well, that's why Allah described the scholars to be Ahlul Khashya. Ahlul Khashya here means the scholars, they repel the desires that come to them with their knowledge. Allah says, That the people who fear Allah the most, rather the ayah says, the ones who fear Allah alone are the scholars. Yani there's no one else who fears Allah except the scholars. That's what the ayah says. He's got the al hasr in there. Like, and, and, like the rest of the people don't. Ibn al-Qayyim took that and unpackaged that verse and really broke it down in bite size. And he said what it means is that everybody's fear of Allah is in line with their knowledge of Allah. Whereas the ulama, since they've reached a high level in knowledge, their khashya is the highest. They have the highest level of khashya. The scholars, they fear Allah the most, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why do they fear Allah the most? Because... They have knowledge that they are able to repel the doubts and the desires. So I ask Allah, He gives us subhanahu wa ta'ala that knowledge to repel the doubts and the desires. Then the author, Rahimahullah, says, He says, He says, The author, Rahimahullah, He mentions, um, it would have been better better if the author said min because the greatest ni'mah without a doubt is seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's no ni'mah greater than that the greatest ni'mah to have is to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ru'yatullah is even greater than jannah it is greater than jannah as it's narrated in the Hadith Sahih Muslim, in the Hadith of Suhaib, that the ni'mah, that's the best, is to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what we say is that since the author, to put the author's statement in the right direction, inshallah ta'ala, and to explain it, it would have been better if he says, min afdalil minan. But if he didn't, what we say is that he's speaking from the perspective of knowledge is a means to seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a what? Wasila to Jannah. And uh, once you enter Jannah, the Muminin are going to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So knowledge is a what? It's a wasila to li afdalil ni'am. 
that it's a means to the greatest blessing, which is to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The beginning of the line is, I'lam no, hudita. The author, he started by saying, I'lam, which is ta'lim, and hudita, which is a dua. So he combined between teaching, you telling you how important knowledge is by saying, I'lam, have knowledge, and also hudita, making dua. And this is the manners of the, the believer, that they make dua for the students. The Prophet ﷺ, he made dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas. What did he say? He said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen. Oh Allah, give him understanding of the religion. So the Prophet ﷺ made dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas. And the hidayah here, hudita here, is, it means hidayah tawfiq wal ilham. Hidayah tawfiq wal ilham means, oh Allah, you place in his heart guidance. That's what the author is using it for. Because hidayah to it's that's present for everybody it's given to everybody is given to everybody generally speaking the overwhelming majority of people have been shown the path of Islam majority of the people a large number of people know about Islam that's not given to everybody little is given that so the author rahimahullah then goes on to say وَيَكْشِفُ الْحَقَّ لِذِي الْقُلُوبِ وَيُوصِلُ الْعَبِدَ إِلَى الْمَطْلُوبِ He goes on to mentioning the benefits of knowledge. Again, he's carrying on. مِنْ فَوَائِدِ الْعِلْمِ From the benefits of knowledge is what? وَيَكْشِفُ الْحَقَّ لِذِي الْقُلُوبِ أَنَّهُ يُبَيِّنُ لِلْمَرْءِ الْحَقِّ Knowledge will clarify for you the truth. And from here what we learn is that knowledge is not knowing Knowledge is not just knowing the views out there. No, Wallahi. Many, many people, they say to you, this is the view of so-and-so, this is the view of so-and-so, this is the view of so-and-so. Yani, the Sheikh is teaching us here that knowledge is not knowing the views is not, the, is not, the, uh, is not what knowledge is. Like in knowing which one is true, which one is rajih, is where knowledge lies. وَيَكْشِفُ Knowledge clarifies to you which one is haq. Shaykh al-Albani used to say, rahimahullahu ta'ala, about those who bring views. Shafi'i said, Ahmed said, Abu Hanifa said, uh, Ibn Hazim said, Ibn Qudab said, all the views they'll mention it. And they will not strengthen one. It, all he does is combine everything. Shaykh Nasir used to say that is similar to a person who brings all of the ahadiths, wala yusahih. He brings all of the riwayat, all the sanid, all the turuq, and he doesn't grade it is the same as the faqih, or the person who studied fiqh, who brings you all of the views, but doesn't strengthen one view over the other. The truth is what the person needs. The person doesn't need these aqwal, these views out there. He wants to know what is right from those views. We're living at a time, subhanallah, where people say the truth is the entirety of those views. So they can wiggle whenever they want. The reason why a lot of people I have found who says to there a difference of opinions in this issue is that whenever they wish to use one of those views, they can use it. They don't want to trap themselves. They want to put themselves in a predicament. So what do they do? They say to you, there are views in this issue. Okay. So whenever he wishes, whenever he likes, I'll take this view of Ibn Qudama. Tomorrow, he's going to condemn the view of Ibn Qudama. Because the world is changing today. Yani the, the, the way things are changing. So he condemns Ibn Qudama, in which yesterday his view was upon. He condemns it. Who does he take? He takes the view of a Nawawi in this issue. And then after a while, he leaves that. 
And then he goes to the view of another Imam, Ibn Hazmin, وَهَكَذَا The truth for the person is that I mean, the right way for a student of knowledge, brothers, is that you take one of those views that you find to be the strongest. How do you know the one that is strongest? It's the, uh, the one that is closest to the evidence. They all can't be true. They all can't be right. All those views cannot all be right. It's mustahil. The haq is one. The truth is one. But what there can be is that sometimes the, view, the truth can be clear that all of these are wrong on this one. Sometimes it can happen. And sometimes it becomes very hard to see who's got the truth. It's hard. That they all seem so strong. You can't really tell who... That doesn't mean that the truth is not one with, with one, one particular person. The truth is with one particular person, Methalan. And he's got the truth. I mean, the truth is, is there, it's present. There is the truth. There's one true view. Okay? But you can't tell which one it is. Who's it with? You don't know. This is when you go to the one who has more knowledge and the more huwara and wa'akada. And you don't argue with the rest of the people. You just stick to the... Because it couldn't come clear to you. And then the benefits of knowledge is to know the truth from the falsehood. That's what it is. Anyone who knows the views of the scholars, and he knows that every issue he says, he says to you whenever you ask him, In this view there's three views. Or he says, Or there's four views in this issue. And then he, or he, like, like that, everything's organized for him, four views, three views. He has what is known as He's like summarized the, the f- we don't, we say to that person, in reality, that person is not a he's not a scholar. Real knowledge is the one who knows all of those views. He knows what they've used, the evidences. He knows how they've extracted the evidences. And he knows which one is right from which one. Or strengthen one over the other. That's what knowledge is. And it will reach and it will allow the slave to reach what he's looking for. What is it that the slave is looking for? Is the slave is looking for Jannah. Jannatul Khult is what he's looking for. That is what the person is looking for. But remember, in order to strengthen one view from another view, which is known as a tarjih, the person to do tarjih, they have to have deep knowledge. They have to have good knowledge. And if you look at the concept of uh, at tarjih, you see that it's mentioned in the last chapters of Usul al-Fiqh. It's not the beginning. The first thing that the student has to study, study at the beginning is al-adillah. And then he has to study al-ahkam. And then he has to study dalalatul al-arfad. And then in dalalatul al-arfad, he does the am, khas, mutlaq, muqayyad, mujmal, mujmal, all of those. Once he understands all of that, he studies the mufti and the muqallid and the muttabi'ah. And in there he learns the tarjih. Look at the kutub. And he, in order to learn tarjih and etc. You need to know the Dalalatul Al-Fad very well. You have to know the chapter of Adillah evidences very well. The Kitab, the Sunnah, the Ijma' and the Qiyas. And the Qiyas especially, the chapter of Illa in Qiyas. You have to have it very well understood. The Illa which is Mustambata, the Illa which is Mustakhraja. I mean the Illa which is Mustambata, sorry. And the Illa which is Mansusa. You have to know which one is which. 
وهكذا. So the point is, brothers and sisters, um, the knowledge is really at which view is right from which. That's where knowledge lies. That's where it is. And the beneficial knowledge is that which allows you to reach you. It allows you to go to Jannah. Knowledge is the means to enter Jannah. Yeah, and if the knowledge that you're learning, brothers and sisters, is not going to take you to Jannah, it's no benefit you learn it. It's beneficial that you didn't learn it. If your knowledge, if your knowledge is going to throw you to destruction, and all you want from knowledge is to become a person known and pointed towards, and knowledge is not, knowledge is not about people saying that you will lie, mashallah, Allahumma barik. You're a leader, Allahumma barik, you have it. That's not what it is. Knowledge is to get you to Jannatul Firdaus. And it is also to learn what is right from what is wrong. That's the benefit of knowledge. Then author Rahimullah says, فَحْرِسْ عَلَى فَهْمِكَ لِلْقَوَاعِدِ جَامِعَةِ الْمَسَائِلِ الشَّوَارِدِ The author Rahimullah, he now talks about learning al-qawaid al-fiqiyya and understanding it. Brothers and sisters, learning ilm al-qawaid al-fiqiyya is an important thing. And learning qawaid al-fiqiyya is very important. And it makes it easy for the student of knowledge to yassiru lahu. It's easy for the student of knowledge to learn ma'rifat al-ahkam al-far'iyyat al-fiqiyya. You study al-fiqh, right? In order to be called a faqih, a student has to study the following things. If you don't study these following things, you're not going to be called a faqih. You're not entitled for this name. The first thing is, and in, in the order I'm mentioning is how you study it. The first thing is you learn the furu' al-fiqiyah. Furu' al-fiqiyah. You learn a button in a fiqh. Whether it be a madhab or not, it doesn't matter. And I would encourage you to study in a madhab and you study a particular madhab. Furu' al-fiqiyah. Matab al-shuja'a wa hakada. You study madhab al-shafi'i, matab al-shuja'a, yaqut al-nafis, al-zubad, umdat al-salik, wa'udat al-nasik, al-minhaj, nawi, hakada. You do tasalsul. Furu' al-fiqiyah. The second thing is you learn adillatul fiqh, which is known as ahadith al-ahkam. The second one is you learn the ahadith al-ahkam, the evidences. After you study the furu' al-fiqiyah, you have to sawr. You go for the adilla. And the adilla, you study kitab umdatul ahkam, bulugh al-maram, hakada. Al-muharrar, al-muntaqa, these are books which are good. Then the student goes for usul al-fiqh, which is number three. He studies usul al-fiqh. When a student studies usul al-fiqh, good beneficial knowledge. And then qawaid al-fiqiyah. The fourth is qawaid al-fiqiyah. So the first one is furu' al-fiqiyah. The second one was al-adillat al-fiqiyah, al-qawaid al-fiqiyah. Sorry, usul al-fiqh, al-qawaid al-usuliyah. And then you study Al-Qawaid Al-Fiqiyah, which is the fourth. And the fifth one, you study Maqasid Al-Shari'ah. Maqasid Al-Shari'ah. If a student of knowledge studies those five, crowns himself in those five, Faqih Haqqan, he's a Faqih. All that's left for him is Mutala'ah, reading a lot, and doing Mumarasa. But now he has got Malaka, Malaka. He's grounded. So Qawaid al-Fiqiyah, brothers and sisters, is a very important science. And it will help you when it comes to al-Ahkam, 
الفرعية الفقهية because إحاطة الفروع if you look at كتب الأصفق there are many sub branches they mention this 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 how can you encompass all of that يعني we're talking about the كتاب الإمام النووي wrote المنهج they say sixty thousand مسائل تقريبا if I'm not wrong and there's like eighty thousand or ninety thousand مسائل in al irshad by Ibn Muqri who can memorize that, that much number and have all of those furu' fiqih in your brain and keep it? Can you do that? It's too hard. It's, cr- it's, cr- it's very hard. That's, that's just one book. What about all the other books, what's in there? That's only one madhab now. What about all the other madhabs of mas- furu' that's in there as well that they talk about? So, al-ihatatu al-furu' al-fiqih, the scholars they say is ghayru mumkina. It's impossible for someone to have it. There's no one However much he reached in knowledge That he encompasses all of the furu' al-fiqiyah in the world It's impossible And that he knows jami' masail al-fiqiyah All of the fiqh issues in this world He knows it all But if anybody knows al-qawaid al-fiqiyah That now That qa'idah that you memorized under it might fall under the 2,000 masail. Just one qa'idah might under them. 2,000 mas- furu' fiqiyah might fall under it. Instead of having to memorize those 2,000 furu' fiqiyah, you just memorize one qa'idah and that's it. You're sufficed. And so whenever you see this furu' fara', you bring it back to the asal. You bring it back to that qa'idah that you have. And that's one of the benefits of al-qawaid al-fiqiyah. And that's what the author, rahimahullah, means by jami'atil masail al-shawaridi. That the masail which are mabthuth, the masail which are scattered in the books of fiqh, qawaid al-fiqiyya will narrow it down for you. It'll organize it for you. You, you learn, uh, we're going to see inshallah ta'ala. Each qa'idah when we take, we'll talk about all of the things that fall under it. We'll take it inshallah ta'ala, bi'nillah. You'll see for yourself. So that's the benefits of studying qawaid al-fiqiyya that the author, rahimahullah, mentioned. That's the benefits in studying it. Then the author, Rahimullah, he said, فَتَرْتَقِي فِي الْعِلْمِ خَيْرَ مُرْتَقَى وَتَقْتَفِي سُبُلَ الَّذِي قَدْ وُفِقَى Also from the benefits of learning, القواعد الفقهية is that the person will grow gradually in knowledge. وَيَعْلُوا وَيَرْتَفِعُ Do you want to grow gradually, bit by bit? This is by taking قواعد الفقهية. يعني you're taking it bit by bit. And after you study qawaid al-fiqiyah, and you study it gradually, you're taking knowledge in a gradual stage, bit by bit, you will have the ability after that, inshaAllah ta'ala, to know hukm al-nawazil al-jadeedah, the newly issues that come about, the contemporary issues that rise, that come about, you will have an, a ruling for it. Why? How could you? Because you have الأحكام, the reasonings for some, some issues. Why did Allah prohibit that? You've studied it deeply. You have علل, which is a very important topic in علم الفقه. علل, knowing the reasoning in why things are prohibited. And knowing the maqasid, the maqsid of this issue. It will help you when it comes to the nawazil al-jadida, the new issues that come about. The new issues that you see, you can answer it. Someone will come up to you and say to you, I want to know, is IVF allowed? I'm a husband, I've got a wife, 
where we've been trying to have children, is IVF allowed in the Sharia? The alim, I will go back to his knowledge and his understanding, and he will look at the issue of the IVF, will study the, si- the issue particularly, he will revise it, have a good surah of the issue, and then he will bring it back to something that he studied and learnt from the principles that he did, the ilal, the reasonings of things, he'll bring it back to there. The benefits of qawaid al fiqhiyah And that's how you grow gradually. And the benefits that is that you're also going to sh- take the path of the scholars. You're going about knowledge the way that the early scholars did. So it's not um, opening a book and just plastering it over everywhere. You're taking basic stuff. One of the things that we're suffering from is people who have understood from knowledge opening a very big book. And you just open a big volume and you look at it without having studied these little mutun. That's why the scholars they say, Man hurimal usula, hurimal wusula. Man hurimal usula, hurimal wusula. Anyone who is is prohibited from him to study these little mutun. You don't, you don't have these mutuns. You don't study them. What happens to you? You get prevented from what? You get prevented from reaching the big knowledge. And if somebody just wants to study uh, Bukhari, and he wants to look at the hadith of Bukhari, he hasn't studied ولا بيقونية ولا نخبة الفكر ولا مقدمة ابن صلاح ولا اختصار علوم الحديث ولا إرشاد by Nawawi ولا تدريب الراوي by جلال الدون السيوطي ولا كتب العلل he doesn't study those science like علل الترمذي رحمه الله إذا شرحه ابن رجب and he hasn't studied كتب of تخريج none of that head on he wants to read فتح الباري is he going to understand Fatul Bari, someone who hasn't read Ibn Hajr's smallest book in Mustalah Hadith? Is he really going to understand it? He's not going to understand it. And the th- problems that that person brings to the community, only Allah knows subhanahu wa ta'ala. So by studying these little mutun, the author says, When you study these little knowledge, these little books, you'll reach a high level. And you're going to tread the path of the great knowledge of Islam. وَلِذَلِكَ الْعُلَمَاء They also used to say مَنْ حَافِظَ الْمُوتُونَ حَازَ الْفُنُونَ Anyone who memorizes these little mutun يعني حفظا وفهما He memorizes الفاظ and he memorizes its meaning يعني he comprehends it مَنْ حَافِظَ الْمُوتُونَ Anyone who memorizes these little mutun He memorizes تُحْفَةُ الْأَطْفَالِ مُقَدِّمَةُ الْجَزَرِيَةِ Memorizes those And he, he memorizes the wording and he memorizes the meaning he understands it. When he goes to pray and lead you the salah, you'll see it. You'll see this person, mashallah. Where did he get? You're amazed in the tarawih the way he recites the Quran because he started from Tuhfat al Afat and then he done Jazariyah and he, يعني, he combined between the Amali and the Nadari. Combined it. He took, he, يعني, he took the right way for it. But someone doesn't do any of that. Straight away, he wants to go into the big books. That's what he likes. He likes the six, seven, volume, eight volume books. That person is going to destroy more than he brings any benefit. And we were commanded to follow the people before us in good. Allah says, Follow 
those who have returned back to Allah. Yani the righteous people, the Sahabas and the Tabi'in. Then the author, rahimahullah, he says, وَهَذِهِ قَوَاعِدٌ نَظَمْتُهَا مِنْ كُتْبِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ قَدْ حَصَلْتُهَا The Imam, he mentions in this, rahimahullah, he says, وَهَذِهِ قَوَاعِدٌ These are principles. نَظَمْتُهَا Which I have brought together. The word نَظَمْ It means the opposite of نَثَر نَظَمْ is poetic. And one of the ways that the scholars used to keep knowledge is what? By nadam. Yani nadam is asra'u lil adhani. It's faster to go to the person's brain than the nathar. Well, the scholars, they say, to understand, it's easier to understand the nathar. And to memorize, it's better to do the nadam. So if you're going to memorize, memorize the nadam. And if you want to take a sharah, take the, the nathar. Well, the scholars, would do, they would memorize Al-Fiyat ibn Malik and they would read the Awdahul Masalik ibn Hisham Al-Ansari. Then the Awdahul Masalik is that Ibn Hisham went to Al-Fiyat ibn Malik and then he took it out of its poetic form. Ibn Hisham turned it into a poetry and, and uh, Ibn Hisham turned it into a nathar, a normal book. So when you read it, this, the hardship that you sometimes might find in the poetry because the poet, there's a sequence he has to observe when he speaks. And sometimes he would do taqdeem and ta'akhir. And so for you to understand what he means by this sometimes might be tricky. Okay? That nasr is not like that. It's easier. The nasr is not restricted. He can speak the way he wants. So Allahul Masalik, when you read it, you will have understanding of the Al-Fiyat ibn Malik. You have understanding. It's like nasr of it. Ibn Shab did a very good job on that. Rahimahullah ta'ala. So they say that the nasr, which is that which is not a poetry, is easier to understand. And the nadam is easier to memorize. وَهَذِهِ قَوَاعِدُ These are principles. نَظَمْتُهَا I have what? نَظَمْتُهَا I have bought, I've written it in a poet, poetic forms. مِنْ كُتْبِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ And I've taken it from the what? From the books of the people of knowledge. قَدْ حَصَّلْتُهَا I got it from the works of the people of knowledge. This is the author, rahimahullah, attributing knowledge to its people. He is accepting, اعتراف, acknowledging, بِالْفَضْلِ لِمَنْ سَبَقَهُ He is accepting virtue for those who preceded him. And that is the manhaj of Ahlul Iman. That they don't attribute to themselves مَا لَيْسَ لَهُمْ That which they don't own. They don't claim that which is not theirs. وَلِذَاكَ حَسْ أَسْمَى رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهَا As is narrated sahihain. That the Prophet ﷺ said الْمُتَشَبِّعُ بِمَا لَمْ يُعْطَكَ لَابِسِ ثَوْبَيِ الزُّورِ The one that pretends to be what he is not. It's like he's wearing it's like he's wearing a garment of falsehood. So don't pretend to be what you're not. Reference in the scholars, so Imam so-and-so said this. Reference in the Imams who said these statements is very important. That's what the author Rahimullah is saying. He's saying these are not mine. I'm just transmitting to you what the great scholars of Al-Islam have uh, said. I'm going to stop there inshallah ta'ala. Uh, wait, I'm going to add one more line of poetry before we start. He says, جَزَاهُمُ الْمَوْلَى الْعَظِيمَ الْأَجْرِ He says, may Allah reward them in good. وَالْعَفْوَ May Allah forgive them مَعْغُفْرَانِهِ وَالْبِرِّ He's making dua for his brothers who preceded him in Iman. This is a sign of true Iman. وَالَّذِينَ جَاءُوا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا اغْفِرْ لَنَا وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا الَّذِينَ سَبَقُونَا بِالْإِيمَانِ وَلَا تَجَعَلْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا غِلَّ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ رَوْفُ الرَّحِيمِ The believers, 
They make dua for their brothers who preceded them in good. That's what they do. They supplicate to them. And that is what Abdurrahman Nasr al-Sa'di does. He says, جَزَاهُمُ الْمَوْلَىٰ عَظِيمَ الْأَجْرِ Allah Ta'ala reward them in good. وَلِذَلِكَ شَاطِبِ does say, he says, جَزَى اللَّهُ بِالْخَيَرَاتِ عَنَّا أَئِمَّةً لَنَا نَقَلُوا الْقُرْآنَ عَذْبًا وَسَلْسَلًا فَمِنْهُمْ بُدُورٌ سَبْعَةٌ قَدْ تَوَسَطَتْ سَمَاءَ الْعُلَىٰ وَالْعَدْلِ زُهْرًا وَكُمَّلًا He says, may Allah reward those scholars. And I just doubt what Ahlul Ilm. He says, جَزَى اللَّهُ بِالْخَيَرَاتِ عَنَّا أَئِمَّةً May Allah reward our imams. لَنَا نَقَلُوا الْقُرْآنَ عَذْبًا وَسَلْسَلًا They brought the Qur'an pure. So he mentioned who they are, each one. He goes through that. Knowing the honor and the status of the people of knowledge and not taking their status away from them. Ibn Malik says the same. He says, Ibn Malik makes dua for his brother Ibn Mu'ti. He says, He's better than me because he came before me. So knowing the status and the honor and the position of those who come before you, giving them a credit where it's due, making dua for them, this is a sign of Ahlul Iman. We're living at a time when someone benefits you, gives you benefit, and you turn around and you do tahqir of them. You belittle the person who benefited you, who taught you, who taught you what you know today. Who did you take it from? Who made, who made you who you are today, in the way that you are, your thinking process, your, who benefited you in this way? You forget all of that? The believer is not like that. You remember that person in dua and khair. And you ask Allah Taala bestow his mercy and his kindness and his generosity. It gets even worse if you insult those people and you belittle them, those people who benefited you, who did this for you and this for you and this for you. And that's a way of the Shia and the Rafidah. Shia and the Rafidah, they insult the people who transmitted this religion to them, who convey the deen of Islam to them. They put them down and they belittle them and they condemn them. And would the Quran have reached them today? And would they have got this Quran if Abu Bakr and Uthman didn't do what they did? They insult those people who did that for them, belittle them. If the Sahaba, Sahaba to Rasulullah did not fight in that battle of Badr and Uhud and Khandaq and all those other battles, they belittle to those people who brought this religion to us the way that it is today. غَضَّنْ طَرِيًّا كَمَا أُنزِلْ Pure, the way Allah Taala sent it down. So fear Allah Taala, and may Allah Taala keep us firm upon our religion. I'm going to stop there inshallah Ta'ala. We're going to start the book, the Qawaid al-Fiqiyah. Um, Inshallah Ta'ala, next week. Inshallah Ta'ala. And we've done 10 lines today. Bi'idhnillah al-Kareem. And so we should be doing another 10 lines, another 10 lines like that. Bi'idhnillah al-Kareem. Barakallahu feekum wa jazakum allahu khayran. If you have any questions, Inshallah Ta'ala, bring it forward. Um, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Um, may Allah preserve you, Ustad. I have a doubt. While explaining the sixth line, وَيَكْشِفُ الْحَقَّ لِذِي الْقُلُوبِ you mentioned that knowledge is when you know which view is the right one and that there is only one right opinion. I'm presuming 
that you are talking in regards to aqidah, not fiqh, right? Because I remember learning that al-ikhtilafu fil fiqhi ni'mah. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Jazakallahu khairan. Very good question, Allahumma barik. Very, very good question. Very good question. Amazing question. Very good. Allahumma barik. May Allah reward the questioner for asking that question. My beloved brothers and sisters, in aqidah, there is no difference of opinion amongst Ahlul Sunnah. And ponder here, brothers and sisters, and I want to slowly break this point down. The aqidah is categorized into two. Mm -hmm. Issues of aqidah are categorized into two. There are fundamental issues in aqidah, and there are also in aqidah very small number of furu' issues in fiqh. Uh, in aqidah let me repeat that one more time in aqidah the bulk of aqidah is usul the issues in it are fundamental issues in our religion there are in aqidah issues which are furu' furu' meaning they are not they are not fundamental issues and they are very small in fiqh uh, in aqidah they are very small in aqidah they are very small in aqidah aqidah the 95% of aqidah is issues of usul, fundamental issues. And there's that 5%, and I'm only, these percentages is just to make it easy for you. That 5%, for example, that is, 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 is furu'ah. But the 95% of aqidah is fundamental issues. There's no difference of opinion. Pay attention now. That 5% in aqidah, some of it, 1% of it, there has come difference of opinion in it. Did the Prophet ﷺ see Allah Azza wa Jalla? That's an issue of aqidah, right? It is. But is it from the usul issues of aqidah? No, no, it's not. It's from the furu' issues of aqidah. Also from issues of aqidah is what? هَلْ يُعَذَّبُ الرَّجُلُ بِبُكَاءِ أَهْلِهِ Would a person be punished if his family wail over him? It's an issue of aqidah. It's an issue of aqidah. But it's from the superrogatory issues of aqidah. It's not from the fundamental issues of aqidah. Difference of opinion have occurred from that issue. When the scholars they say there is no difference of opinion in aqidah, they mean the overwhelming majority of issues of aqidah. There's no difference of opinion. Let's flip to the issue of fiqh. Let's flip to the issue of fiqh. Fiqh. 95% of the issues of fiqh are issues of furu'. Fiqh, 95% of the issues of fiqh are furu'. They are superrogatory issues. And 5% of it is fundamental issues. Again, these numbers are just to make it easy for you to understand. It's not precise. It's just... Yani it's taqribul ma'loom. It's to bring the, the knowledge close to you. Well, that's why the scholars always say that there's ikhtilaf in fiqh. Um, the fiqh khilaf are, are, are acceptable. They mean the 95%. They don't mean that 5%. Like for example, an issue of fiqh is, is salah, the five daily prayers, are they obligatory? Can anyone, can anyone uh, say no, dhuhr is not wajib? Can he say that? No, oh, it's a fundamental issue. But it's a fiqh issue. It's a fiqh issue. It's a what? It's a fiqh issue now in fiqh and aqidah what's the difference between the two of them 
The difference is in aqidah, you're not allowed to hold another opinion. Everyone must submit and follow. In fiqh, on the other hand, there's points and views, back and forth, pull and push. And whichever view you take in fiqh, that your knowledge has reached and you've striven, there's no problem upon you in fiqh. And you're not a deviated sect, you're not from a deviated group in fiqh. As long as it's from those 95% of the issues of which are furu'. Is everybody with me so far? Is everybody understand so far what I'm saying? Is it clear what I'm saying so far? Just if you can just say yes, and then we can, I want to carry on the next point of the question. Ah, so far it's clear. Now, the difference between both of those is that in aqeed that you're not allowed to go against anyone. The Quran's on one view. Well, the Muslims, all of them had one view in issues of aqeedah. The Muslims, the groups that went against them were labeled innovators in aqeedah. Whenever they went against Ahlul Sunnah, labeled innovator. Innovator, 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 innovator. The Khawarij came out, Khawarij. Uh, uh, Shia, Shia. The Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah. They were named. They were not said, oh, this is another madhab. They were called a deviated group in Aqidah. In Fiqh, on the other hand, they were called schools of thoughts. They differed. This is a madhab now. This is Shafi'i. This is the view of Ahmed. This is the view of Malik. That being said, these khilaf does not render a person to leave the fold of Ahlul Sunnah, let alone Islam. And he's Shafi'i disagreeing with Malik, and Malik disagreeing with Hanif, Abu Hanif, and Abu Hanif disagreeing with Imam Ahmed. Doesn't make any one of them an innovator. No, it doesn't. But that being said, there is one person who's right. There's one person who's right. Whether it be aqidah or fiqh. The truth is always one. In Aqidah, the truth is always one and everybody has to follow that one. If anyone goes against it, he's an innovator. In Fiqh, on the other hand, the truth is one. In Fiqh as well, yes. The truth can't be more than one. It's only one. There's one of them that's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is one of them that Allah loves. That being said though, we don't label anyone who goes against it because that number one, that one truth, is very subjective to everybody. Everyone believes that what they are holding onto is the one. And because it's not clear, that one, okay, we accept that person's view and respect it. For example, in the salah, the Prophet clearly instructed us, do not, when you're praying salah, he said, don't go down like the camel. So he's prohibiting us from something. Pay attention. He's prohibiting us from something. When we pray the salah, he said, don't go down like the camel. Okay. Everyone now knows that there's a prohibition coming here. The question here is, how does the camel go down? Both views can't be right because the Prophet is prohibiting one. How can they both be right? No, they can't be right. They both can't be right. One of the views is right. Either the knees go down first or the hands. There's, those are the two options that are in front of us. So the, which one is the Prophet prohibiting and which one is he allowing? That's subjective now. But one of them is right. Araftum? Are we all together? One of those is right. Now who is that one that's right? That's where the, uh, when you go down to it, there's an argument. Whichever of those views that you take, it doesn't render you to leave Ahlul Sunnah. You're still a Muslim. You're a mu'min, inshaAllah ta'ala. 
you're a noble person, there's nothing wrong with you. Let's go back to the issue of Aqeedah again. The issue of Aqeedah, Allah has names and attributes. Saying that I'm of the opinion that I don't want to affirm Allah's names and attributes because that's the view of the Mu'tazila, that's another madhab. No. This is only view. If you don't accept this one, you become an innovator. Last but not least, coming back to the issue of al-ikhtilafu fil fiqhi ni'mah. That statement is wrong. To say al-ikhtilafu fil fiqhi ni'mah, that's wrong. Because ikhtilaf is not praiseworthy. La in the Quran wa la fi sunnah. Ikhtilaf is not praiseworthy in the Quran or the sunnah. And if you look at Allah tabarak wa ta'ala kama inna Allah la yarda inna Allah yarda lakum thalatan wa yasghatu lakum thalatan Allah loves three for you and he hates this, he hates three things for you. From the three things Allah hates from us, one of the things he hates subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? Or one of the things he loves for us subhanahu wa ta'ala is um, that you all come together and you do not disunite. The concept of coming together is a blessing. The differences is not a blessing. That's why Allah said in the ayah, وَلَا يَزَالُونَ مُخْتَلِفِينَ إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبُّكَ And they say, الْإِخْتِلَافُ That the ikhtilaf is a rahmah. How could that be possible? Al-ikhtilaf cannot be a rahmah. The ikhtilaf is not a rahmah because ayah says, وَلَا يَزَالُونَ مُخْتَلِفِينَ They will be having ikhtilaf amongst themselves إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبُّكَ Except those who Allah has had mercy on. Yani the ones who Allah had mercy on are the ones who are not having the khilaf. Okay? And there are some scholars who say that ikhtilaf in fiqh is a rahmah or is a ni'mah or whatnot. They use that term, but they mean it differently. They mean it in a different explanation. But like in bihada itlaq, say unrestrictedly like that, fihi nadar. There's a look to that. Also, there is another thing that needs to be distinguished between ikhtilaf and ijtihad. Ikhtilaf is not praiseworthy, like an ijtihad is. The difference between the two is, ikhtilaf is based upon, sometimes it's based upon, um, no evidence. That's an ikhtilaf. A person has an evidence and the other one doesn't have an evidence. And there's an ikhtilaf here. The one who doesn't have an evidence, the ikhtilaf on his side is madhmoom, he's, pra- he's blameworthy for that. He says something with no evidence. He's blameworthy for that. Whereas the one who has evidences, he's praiseworthy. Why do when I say blameworthy, I mean, doesn't mean that he doesn't get a reward for it because it could, it could have not reached him, the evidence. The evidence may not have reached him. And the proof may not have reached him. He may not be aware of it. So he gets his reward. But we will, can, we will stay away from his view. And in Islam, there are, very, there are views out there by great imams of Islam that they hold, and those views are not in any way, shape, or form accepted. They're not accepted. Because there's evidence here, and in here, there isn't. Give an example of just uh, one that quickly just comes to mind right now. We have Ibn Hazmin, who holds the opinion that a person who does yani, homosexual activities or yani, sodomy, yani, he believes with a, another man. Ibn Hazm believes that this doesn't, there's no punishment for it. Like, there's no punishment whatsoever. We have, on the other hand, a clear hadith of the Prophet where he said, 
We have a statement of the Messenger where he clearly said, anyone you find who is doing the action of the homosexuals, um, the one who is doing it and the one that's being done to, both of them kill them. Now are we going to leave the hadith of the Prophet and put that aside and take the call of Ibn Hazmin, rahimahullah? No, no. That's not fair, that's wrong. We will take the statement of the Prophet There could be many reasons why Ibn Hazm didn't use it. Maybe the hadith to him was not authentic when it reached him. It reached him in a weak narration. Or secondly, maybe he never even heard of it. Maybe uh, he heard of it and um, when he heard of it, he thought it was specific, but there was a general rule. There are many reasons. Ibn, Haz, Ibn Taymi wrote a book on it. The point I'm trying to come to, brothers and sisters, is that the truth in Islam is always one. Always one. Unless the Prophet ﷺ said both of them are allowed. Unless the Prophet ﷺ permitted all of these forms and said this one is allowed, this one is allowed, this one is allowed, this one is allowed. If he said that, all of them are right. If the Prophet did not, or the Quran did not, and the scholars are differing amongst themselves, they can't all be right. And they're all saying contradicting things. They're all saying contradict. One is saying it's allowed, and the other says it's not allowed. They can't both be right. How can they both be right? Only one that's right. We stand, may Allah preserve you and honor you in this dunya and the akhirah. Allahumma amin. Could you shed some light on the issue of how do we balance the dunya and worshiping Allah? As when I give da'wah to the family, family members who do things that disobey Allah just to follow their culture and norms, say that the Prophet told us to carry the dunya and ha- carry the dunya hand in hand. What I want to say is that the asal of the people's culture and the people's norms is that it's fine as long as it does not contradict the Sharia, the customs and the norms that the people have. If it's not in contradiction with the Quran and the Sunnah and the ijma of the Ummah, then that culture is fine. You should endorse it, you should encourage it, and in some cultures they have good things in them, and they benefit, they, they benefit the people and the community. So a lot of people have this belief that the culture is wrong, only the Quran and the Sunnah. No, we say culture, it depends what culture you're, what part of the culture are you referring to. Is it something wrong within the culture? Yes, we'll leave it. Okay? For example, if a culture believes that the man should not give dowry to the woman, we say that culture is wrong. Wrong. It's a wrong culture. The man has to give the dowry to the woman. This is the religion stated this. You see? Or if a culture says that the man and the wife, when they get married for the first seven days, they should not come out of the house or go to the masjid and pray salah, then we say this is wrong culture. So seven days he doesn't come out, he doesn't pray in the masjid, no one sees him, he's meant to spend, spend, yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong. So the, this is culture that's going to be rejected in that issue. But whatever the culture is good in, some cultures, mashallah, are very good when it comes to community support. And the community, they put money together, they raise money for poor people. There's a, there's a particular auntie in the community who raised all of that money from the community. She's like a head of the, fam- the community, she, she, the money is all sent over to her. She takes all of the money from the women, she collects all the women, and it's sent to the poor people of every single month someone within the family is sent money to. That's good. That's, a, that's an organized way. So some things are very good. You endorse it. 
And those things which are wrong, you discourage it and you speak against it. Also, brothers and sisters, one thing I always find people do is that if guidance doesn't come through your hands and you find a bit of resilience from the people, resistance, sorry, you find a bit of resistance from the people you're preaching to, some people give up and they say, look, I don't know what to do. The people are not listening. What shall I do? Upon you is to convey things in a very gentle, soft manner. If it's accepted, blessing is it. And if it's rejected, then you're not the first person whose advice and his reminder has been rejected. The Prophet told us in the hadith, يَأْتِي نَبِيٌّ وَلَيْسَ مَعْهُ أَحَدٌ A Prophet will come the day of judgment and there's nobody with him. Just be persistent and continuous in reminding and reminding and reminding. You never know. There could be a possibility that, that day, one day they wake up and they listen to your advice. Just keep preaching, inshallah ta'ala, and keep going. And everything is in Allah ta'ala's hands. Naam. I'm going to leave there, inshallah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum wa jazakumullahu khairah.